Well, good evening. So, thank you. Yeah, it's good to be here with you guys. We've been having a conversation going on for several weeks now, about five, uh, in regard to biblical parenting. And the idea really is to equip us as all of us being biblical counselors uh, to understand biblical parenting, what our expectations uh, should be for parenting, uh, what God's righteous standard would necessarily hold for us in evaluating not only our own lives, but when folks come to you with challenges regarding their parenting or issues that might come up, there might be great opportunity in looking at these priorities that God shows us from his word about how to correct parenting and even opportunities to offer instruction and counsel and be of, of value in helping friends and family or anyone that might come across your, your path in regard to understanding, really, the relationship between parents and children and understanding these from a biblical perspective. The uh, sheet that you have uh, passed out, if I were to just take some time and kind of cover some uh, introductory material that we've been through before, I just want to make sure that everybody kind of gets a chance to be on the same page. We would just go down this and we would look at uh, biblical parenting priority. And I use shorthand. I like shorthand. The G-O-G. What's the G-O-G? Thank you. The G-O-G is the glory of God. The G-O-G is the answer to the question, what's your purpose in life? Why are you here? So that, that really is the, the sum total of what we're here for. We were created to glorify God. So that really becomes the parent's priority, which is nice to have our ultimate goal of our life, that priority, aligned with our priority in parenting. It's good to have those two things together, right? It's, it's like taking a stone and, and throwing it and hitting two birds with one stone. We, we, it's great. Glory of God for our parenting, glory of God for our life. The commitments that biblical parents have would be the word of God, Primarily, the word Jesus Christ, the word, the truth, the scriptures. And then secondarily would be our spouse, and then our family, and then others. And in that order. And the goal of biblical parenting we identified would be this. The goal would be to, to be a faithful instrument in God's hands for actively bringing up my child according to biblical principles. According to biblical principles. We've shared a lot of scripture. We've talked about Deuteronomy 6. Ephesians chapter 6, Hebrews 12. And I think that's where I want to turn our attention right now. Uh, just to, We're going to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12 because it really helps to set the context for the things we're going to be discussing tonight. Hebrews chapter 12. And, and last week we read uh, the opening chapter of, of Hebrews, and we, or not the, the, the opening 11 verses here of Hebrews 12. Tonight I just want to read from verses 5 through 11. And I really think that this is, is such an important piece of scripture to help understand your own relationship to God, let alone your relationship as a parent to your children. So there's a direct parallel here, and it's just important to continue to think about your relationship to God in these terms. These are his terms. And so it's important to read this again. I'm going to read this now. I'll start at verse, I'll start at verse 4. Really, that section right there in 5 is what we're going to drive through. But here you go. Verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 12. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. 
God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's what we're after. We really want that in our lives. And the only way to find the peaceful fruit of righteousness is to know the righteous standard of God and to align yourself with God's will and with God's righteous standard. And that's really where parenting goes astray, is when we deviate from that path, from that plan. When we start to really trust our own way more than God. It's kind of like Abraham, right? In, in, the, uh, in the book of Genesis, you see that uh, even this morning as we're teaching through this, right? These kids this morning, Genesis, you got Abraham, and he comes up with plan number one to help God out, right? Because God made this incredible promise in chapter 12 and in chapter 15 and chapter 17. I will make a multitude of nations from you. And Abraham decided, well, you know what, God? I was 75 years old when you said that. I'm 80 now, and um, there's no kids around here. Watch <laughs> just getting older. So where is this child of promise going to come from? Well, maybe it's this little boy, Eliezer of Damascus. Can, can he be the heir? Is, is he the one? Should I just give all my stuff to this guy? And God says no. They try to pull it off again. They get Hagar involved in this. You know, We'll have a son by Hagar. Go ahead and, and, and go to the handmaiden, and, and she'll conceive a child for sure, and, and that'll be the child of promise. That's certainly the means that God wants to use. We know we're smart enough. We, we've got our own plans, our own ideas, and that just doesn't work out either. And so with each of these failures, God said no. Because there's this idea of relationship that God wants to communicate. That's where we're headed tonight. It's the idea of cause and effect. It's the idea that when God makes a rule, he also has a result that he expects. And when he makes a command, he expects obedience to the command. And if there's not obedience to the command, what does God always make sure that you know about your response to his command? He makes sure that you know the consequences, right? So you understand clearly cause and effect. Uh, did Adam and Eve, did they have an understanding of cause and effect? They sure did, didn't they? Yeah. So which person throughout Scripture didn't have an understanding of cause and effect? You think it's pretty important for children to have an understanding of cause and effect? It is. It's pretty important for parents too. So we need to walk through and understand cause and effect biblically, and that's what we want to do tonight. So we're just marching through these set of notes that I've got in front of you. Uh, hopefully that presents a... a, a helpful outline for you to keep track of the topics that we'll cover. So we don't establish rules just for the sake of establishing rules. We don't do that. We don't establish rules to, to build our own kingdom. This is my house and you're going to obey my rules. That, that's far too short-sighted. That would be a massive failure because kids will see right through that. They'll see right through that. They'll see that you're just about your, making, making your own kingdom. And if kids pick up on you making your own kingdom and there's no biblical authority under which you're trying to make a kingdom for yourself, what are they going to do? They're going to make their own kingdom as well, right? Because you've demonstrated to them exactly what they need to do. In fact, you said the authority of God is there, and I'm going to usurp the authority of God and make my own kingdom, not God's kingdom. So 
So you've already created that relationship here. So they're just looking at you, what you did, and they're seeing you as their authority, and they're saying, oh, okay, so the authority, you just violate that, and you just make your own kingdom. Make sense? So it's just tit for tat. They're just going to play the same game that you play. They learn well. So rules, though, rules need to have a purpose. Rules need to have a purpose. They need to be given by a greater need and for a greater reason than these reasons. Listen to these. I want peace in my home. I'm tired of the yelling. I will not be disrespected in my home. You, you don't make rules that are of any value to combat those three points. Do you know why? Because those three points have idols. There's idols in those three points. The idol in the first one is the idol of peace. You know that peace can be an idol, right? Same thing with the second one, the idol of quietness. And the third one's an idol as well, the idol of respect. We can make these things idols. But God is so awesome and he's so helpful in this. Matthew 6, 33 says this. Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, he said this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. So if you're seeking peace, do you just want to make rules for peace? Would that be helpful? No. You want to make your rules the righteous standard of God because then that will get you the peace that you're looking for. Does that make sense? The same thing with respect. Respect is going to flow out of an understanding and a demonstration of your desire to follow the righteous standard of God. And then out of that will flow respect. So you just can't start off and say, I want respect, I want peace, I want quiet. You have to start off and say, I want what? The righteous standard of God, the glory of God. That's what I want. And then all of these other things shall be added unto you. That's what we're after. You set the glory of God as the priority, and these things will result. But to get this, it means, parents, that this is what you must do. You must hunger and thirst for righteousness. You must be about the Father's business with zeal. You must pick up your cross daily and follow Christ through the narrow gate. So the biblical parent will see the, the failures of the past and they will move to change their approach to rules that they might make rules that are consistent with God's righteous standard. And then they will expend every effort to defend those rules and those boundaries. Because rules are, are never alone. Once a rule's been made, there's always a result. Rule, result. There's a biblical pattern here, right? Command, consequence. You've seen that before, right? God makes a command and there's a consequence. There's a rule, there's a result. We also look at this and we say this is sowing and this is reaping. This is cause and this is effect. And this is what we want to talk about tonight. Cause and effect. Rules and results. Last week we spoke at length about limits and about rules. This would be the, the cause side of the equation, the sowing side of the equation. Limits and rules are the commands that must be obeyed. And tonight, we really want to take a look at the results side of the equation. What are the consequences? What are the consequences? What can a child expect to reap? What kind of harvest can they look for? So we're going to look at reaping. We're going to consider reaping. There's two basic consequences, two potential outcomes for a child's decision, right? We get this from Scripture. If you obey, you get blessing. If you disobey, you get punishment, right? So these are our two, reward and punishment, reward and punishment. So in reaping, you get rewards, and in reaping, you get punishment. 
So let's look at rewards first. We'll talk about rewards. Rewards for obedience to rules, to commands, are many. You know, just consider Psalm 1. How blessed is the man. He is like a tree firmly planted by rivers of water. It brings forth its fruit in its season. His leaf also does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. These are natural rewards and, and rewards of the Lord. So there's natural rewards and rewards of the Lord that come to those who follow the rules of the rule giver. There's a great reason for this. Rewards reinforce the relationship between rules and obedience and results. This can work in everybody's benefit to have these reinforced. Before we talk about rewards from the parent, let's just first consider these natural and these God-given uh, rewards. The, the reward, one reward would be praise from men. Praise from men. It's a natural reward. Another reward would be the increase of privileges. Another reward, increased trust. And then greater responsibility. It can also lead to a natural consequence, a natural reward or a God-given reward, a clear conscience. That's a reward of obedience. Knowing God has been pleased, that's a reward of obedience. Kids have many great incentives to do what's right naturally. Naturally they have them. So we don't want parents who are going to give $5 to their child every time they brush their teeth. That's not helpful, right? This would cheapen all of the natural consequences that flow from God in his gracious hand. However, there is, an, there is great opportunity to reward a child who obeys perhaps more than uh, with, with just time, but also with things and with stuff, with something special. You can make a purchase for them, but you can also give them additional affection. You, could, you can go out of your way to make sure they get additional verbal praise, additional special time with you. So these are benefits and rewards that parents want to give their children. You want to be diligent about this. Big money prizes for every little thing begins to set a a really unhealthy precedent. And it creates unwarranted and unnecessary expectations in the heart of the child about what they should get for being good. Right? This is the culture we live in, right? Everybody gets a trophy culture. There's always a little ribbon waiting for you. No one said anything wrong. Everybody has a good question. That's not always true. The, the problem or the challenge might be that if you expend big money on a child, if you put forward big expenses on a child, it could lead to big failure. We don't just give stuff for the sake of giving often. There's, there's got to be some thought and intentionality to it. There's got to be a reason why. We don't always just lavish children with things expecting that they're just going to return with the obedience that we're expecting. It doesn't happen back here in the children's ministry. I don't just take and, and hand every kid a package of Skittles expecting that that's going to make compliance happen just like that. It's not the way that it works. So parents need to give reasonable rewards. We want the kids to see that parents are reasonable. Reasonable in the giving of rules, reasonable in their limits, reasonable in their rewards, and reasonable in their consequences. Parents need to give reasonable rewards. So what are some reasonable rewards? Well, here's a list of them. You can give praise, words of affirmation. You can give hugs and kisses. They need your physical touch. You can spend more time with your child, keeping your child in your presence, that closeness, that proximity. You can give them privileges, give them larger privileges, larger opportunity. Responsibilities as well. Give them an opportunity to grow in trust, that they trust you and you can trust them. 
You can also give them gifts to meet their needs. If they need a new pair of shoes or a new shirt, a new sweater, meet their basic needs. Give them what they need in in the way of gifts. But then there's also the opportunity to go above and beyond and to just bless them out of your abundance, out of the bounty of your heart, to give them their wants, not just their needs. The best gifts are, are given by the parent who truly knows their child. Just getting to know them personally is, is a great gift. Biblical parents will seek to use their mouth to praise and their hands to hug, and they'll use their time to tell of their desire to know that child. I'm going to give you my time so that I can know who you are and what you love. They're generous with their trust in giving privileges and in giving responsibilities, and they're generous with gifts and blessings for the wants and the needs. So that's rewards. That's how rewards work. Then we need to turn and we need to consider punishments. So these are the consequences that flow from obedience, either obedience or the lack thereof. So punishments are going to come. You know, it's uncomfortable to begin talking about failure, right? Because we're all sitting in a room full of people that have failed. Today, yesterday, tomorrow, we're failures. We know that. We know how much we're prone to failure. We'd love to play the game, you know, you sin, I sin, hey, we all sin, so what? Let's just get along. We can't play that though, right? That's not the crowd we want to be. Why? Because the Bible calls us to maturity in Christ. It calls us to sanctification. It calls us to holiness. We don't play this social, societal game where we say, oh, the kids are going to drink, so just have them over to my house and I'll introduce them to to drinking. They're going to get involved with drugs. Oh, we just probably need to introduce that in my house. It's a safer environment. The kids are going to be involved with sexual activity and promiscuity. Oh, we should probably just allow that as well. We don't play that game because that doesn't hold God's righteous standard. And we know that that's going to lead to abysmal failure in their lives, to incredible amounts of hurt and pain and depravity. And we don't want that for our children. And so somebody has to stand up. And somebody has to be the adult. And someone has to say, we're going to head toward Christian maturity. And my house will be set on the glory of God. Because if it's not, it's going to mean a wasteland of pain for everybody. And we're not going to go that route. We must actively pursue dumping our sin. And we must help others to eliminate their sin as well. How does God make sin go away? Through punishment. Through consequences. Through, as we read in Hebrews 12, through discipline. He makes it painful to stay in your sin and in your rebellion. God speaks the command. He speaks also the reward and the punishment, and he allows you to make your choice to see for your own self, is this cause and effect thing with God real? Will he really punish me? Will will we really die if we eat the fruit of that tree? And finally, God brings the effect. He brings the consequence. And why? Why would God bring the consequence? Well, if he's the God who said that this is what his command was, and he said that this is what the outcome was, wouldn't it be a violation of his character, of his nature, to not then bring the consequence? And and is God going to violate his own nature? Is he going to become untruthful? No, God is true and every man is a liar. He will bring the consequence. Biblical parents have learned this lesson well. They know that God is faithful in this and they realize that they must step up and deliver the consequence when the consequence, when the punishment has been called for. Can you affirm with me this this idea? Can you affirm with me this notion? 
there's, there's nothing that quite conforms my behavior to God's righteous standard than the day in which I find my child rebelling in one certain aspect and I realize the call and the command to go and punish my child, to discipline my child for that very thing. But just earlier in the day, I committed the same rebellion against God. And my conscience was burning. It was saying all kinds of things to me, and I wanted to push back and rebel against it. But now the Lord brings my child in with the same rebellion. And now I have to talk with my child about the very same thing that my conscience was burning me for earlier. And now it's like my words are going to my son or my daughter, and they're doing triple duty. A single duty on their heart and a double duty on mine. It didn't work the first time with you, Oliver. Well, let me get your attention. Now your son just did it. Now you go punish him. Now you hold him to my standard even while you're sitting there in rebellion. You talk about burning words. They're your own words that burn you the most. Nothing will give you bigger heartburn than that. Can you feel the hypocrisy in that? You feel the weight of that? Because you've been there, right? <laughs> yeah, those, those ones hurt. You can imagine the tension in my heart when I'm talking to my son and all those words are just screaming at my own conscience. Biblical parents realize that issuing consequences for disobedience has a perfect work in two hearts, the heart of the child and the heart of the parent. Punishment that works then will consist of, of some of the following elements. It's got to be something that costs the child something. One thing that is a cost for a child is comfort. You're not guaranteed comfort. Are you guaranteed comfort? No, you're not guaranteed comfort. Comfort is something that might cost the child. Privilege, freedom, it'll cost them responsibility. A good punishment will cost them family time. They might need separation. It'll cost them recreation, the opportunity to use the toys and all the fun things that you've brought into the house. It might even cost them an early bedtime. Consequences then must also be timely. Punishments must be timely. You know, we don't linger on these things and, and punish two or three days later. We're not punitive like that. You know, your, your consequence needs to take place in a timely fashion. It's reasonable to allow and wait for dad to come home and, and, and give a punishment if that's two or three hours. That's reasonable. But you want to connect the discipline with the actual event. And the younger they are, the tighter that gets. And the older they are, the further that can separate itself, but it needs to happen in the same day. It's got to take place in the same day. It's timely. Consequences, punishments are timely. Punishments need to be stated in advance. It's really helpful to state the punishment in advance so they know. And then you must enforce them. Punishments must be consistent. And they must be done in love. And they must be done under control. Never ever compromise your God-given authority with idle threats about discipline that you have no intention to perform. You must be able and willing to bring the consequences to your child. That when you state your rules and your limits, that the consequence will come in a timely fashion just like God's consequences come in a timely fashion. Further, punishments must be, they must be age-appropriate Swift consequences help the child understand how the offense and the, and the pain result so they can really see that cause and effect conversation. Young children will be disciplined more necessarily. Older children will be disciplined less. Methods will start to change and move as you employ more heart tactics and conversation with the older child as their heart becomes sensitive to God's righteous standard and their violation of it. 
Further, punishments reflect the nature of the offense because a biblical parent knows the difference between lying and leaving the lights on, between rebellion and interrupting a conversation. We know that leaving the lights on can be corrected with a conversation or even overlooking them. We can even just apply grace to that, right? It's like them leaving their socks out on the counter. Or on the counter. You leave a peanut butter spoon on the counter. If they leave their socks on the floor in their bedroom, you can pick them up for them and put them in the dirty laundry. You don't need to make mention of that. You, you, can, you can clean up for them in the kitchen. You can just come behind and just clean up and just give grace, just shower grace for those things. There's opportunities to do that. But with major offenses, but with major offenses against God's righteous standard, the biblical command is to use the rod. And that's what we need to talk about next in the way of punishment. So this conversation starts to go down the road of the rod. My feelings about the rod are many. I'm a strong advocate for use of the rod. This comes from personal experience as a youth, and it comes from 13 years of parenting now four children. And what I've seen in that time, what, what have I seen in that period of time? I have seen the faithfulness of the truth of the word of God regarding the rod. I've seen the results. More importantly to me as a youth particularly, I felt the results. Not so much in, in being paddled on my backside, but more importantly, the shot that it put in my heart. You see, the rod made me see my sin. It made me see God's righteous standard. It made me see my dad's desire to honor God. It made me realize the power of God's word. The, the rod showed me the violation of God's standard. It showed me my inability to pay God off, or my dad for that matter. It showed me cause and effect and pain for disobedience. It showed me my need for grace. It, it showed me the joy that was to be found in obedience. Uh, yeah, it, it, it really did show me the joy found in obedience. I, I was definitely one of my dad's easier children with, when it came to discipline. Because once I found out how strict and how steady that standard was and how consistent that righteous standard of God's was, I did not want to get near it. I was, I was much more happier being on the righteous standard than away from it. You know, that's, that's, that's what I, I really wanted to be there because there was comfort and there was safety and there was protection in there and there was consistency there. The rod then becomes the most gracious thing that a biblical parent can give to their children. Wise biblical parenting done with the rod. Using the rod communicates so clearly some of the most incredible attributes of God. His justice, his truth, his anger, his hatred of sin, rebellion, and disobedience. Nothing else truly communicates these characteristics of God to our children like the rod. Do you think it's important for our children to understand these characteristics of God, his very nature, in, in, in this fashion? So what becomes a punishable offense? What's a punishable offense for the, for the use of the rod, that we're requiring the use of the rod? The rod is not used for all instances of disobedience, but reasonable parents will be able to distinguish and decide the offenses which must be punished by the rod. We'll just mention a few of those. The idea would be, if you see violence coming out of your child, that's punishable by the rod. Lying, that's punishable by the rod. Rebellion, that's punishable. Heart attitudes, you know, these amount to pretty much a lot of disobedience. But there's even, disobedience will qualify here in a second. I want to look at the abuse of the rod. There's three areas where I see opportunity for abuse with the rod. 
These areas are these. The first area of opportunity for abuse with the rod is, is in the nature of the offense. In the nature of the offense. The second one is the, the quantity of spankings. And the third one is in the quality of the spanking. So first, as I just mentioned, with regard to offenses, there are those major offenses. Violence, lying, rebellion, attitude. But also on this list is, is just generally disobedience. This is a, a category that we must approach with wisdom. When your child is disobedient, that's clear. We know when kids have disobeyed. The subjective question is, did this disobedience rise to the need of spanking? Did this disobedience rise to the need? It is at this point that we really want to empower the parents. We really want to empower the parents. Have you been in the military and seeing what's going on in our country and seeing the way that the police force even oftentimes is, is treated? Even in your workplace, you probably experienced this. Do you want localized control or do you want distanced control under board review? Do you want localized control or distanced control with a, with a, a, a board of, of directors that are going to review the choice? Who, who do you want to empower to make the decision? The local. You want local control. You, you want to allow somebody's conscience, like... You're a reasonable person, and I can put trust in you because God has put trust in you. And so I want you to make choices. I want to give you the opportunity to show that you can understand and receive God's commands and then live them out. So I want to localize control. That's what we want to do for parents. We need to let the parents parent their children. Parents need to feel the guilt and shame of both too liberal a policy and not enough spanking, or too strict a policy and too much spanking. Parents who are sensitive, and that word's going to come up a few times, right? Parents who are sensitive to God's righteous standard, who are informing their conscience through the word, and who are in regular fellowship at a church, I believe that these people are equipped to know when a child needs more instruction, when they need more patience, when they need grace, and when they need truth. And when I say truth, I'm talking about the truth of God's wrath and his anger coming out in the form of spanking. That's truth. And I balance that with grace. And I hold my hands out like this intentionally because there's a lot of things in Scripture that require us to hold our hands in balance. And if you're the parent who offers way too much grace, it's going to come at the expense of the truth. And there will be failure there. And if you're the parent who has way too much truth and wrath and anger and you don't have any grace, there's going to be massive failure there. We must hold God's truths in perfect parallel in both hands openly. He's the one that gave them to us, and he's the one that required them. These parents then can be trusted to use the rod when appropriate. So then we turn to the next area of abuse. Abuse of the rod can be an overuse, overuse. The quantity of spanking needs to be understood because there's a message being sent in quantity. What are your thoughts of setting an arbitrary limit like this? In your house, the children will only be ever subject to one spanking per child per day. Can you just do that? I mean, is that helpful? Is that going to offer a benefit and, and be of value to anybody in your house? Of course not. Okay. So the, what, are your, what are your thoughts on this? We will spank our children until we see repentance and true remorse. <laughs> Again, foolish, right? Really? You're going to see 
genuine repentance and true remorse at the end of your spanking? You're going to achieve that in your spanking? Am I saying that you can't achieve that? But the question would be, why would you make that a goal? Is that a helpful goal? You know, I once had a parent tell me that by the 12th spanking, their child was still refusing to cooperate. I bet your heart just did what my heart did when I heard that. I bet your heart just said, say what? You did what? 12 spankings. I was beside myself. I was thinking, really? 12 spankings? Huh. You, you see, I just, don't, I just don't believe in my mind that past five spankings that you're communicating God's message anymore. The reason is because of Ephesians 6.4. Because you run the risk of exasperating your child. They reach a point of saturation past which nothing is being communicated except the will of the parents. And I believe it's at that point in time that the will of the parents is no longer aligned with the will of God. They're going to drive that message into that child. It's just not helpful. So quantity matters. Parents must find the place between obedience to God and the use of the rod and the command to not exasperate your child. There's the boundaries, right? There's the you must do this or you hate your child and do not exasperate your child. There's, there's got to be a place in the middle there where you know your conscience burns that if you don't do this, you're violating God's righteous standard. But if you go beyond this, you're violating his standard as well. And that's why we're talking about the going beyond and that being abuse. Third point of abuse. We, we need to consider the potential abuse of the broad when we look at the quality of the spanking. The quality of the spanking. You know, are we, are we putting up this whole conversation about spanking and, and the approach to children so that you can go in and just tap them on the backside? Is that what it is? Is, is spanking a, a tap? Don't do that. That's not it, right? We're not talking about a tap. We're trying to achieve clear communication about behavior that does not honor God. So spanking needs to communicate the value of righteousness. This is not done with a tap. Uh, consider, consider God's righteousness. I don't want you to parallel these things either, but just consider, you'll, you'll get what I mean when I say don't parallel them. Just, just get what I mean. When, when God's righteousness fell on Sodom and Gomorrah, was that a tap? When God's righteousness through um, Samuel fell on Agag, the king of the Amalekites, was that just a tap? You know who I'm talking about, Agag? What's the scripture say? He hacked him to pieces. Again, you see what I'm saying. We're not paralleling. <laughs> There's no direct parallel here in, in, the, in the one sense. But when God's righteous standards falls, it can be felt. So there's a lower limit to the force to be used. A tap will not work. We want to get the child's attention, and usually this will come in the form of a sting. But there's an upper limit of the quality of the spanking as well. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to strike the child. We need to strike in a way that achieves communication. You know, do we trust policemen? This is a big conversation with policemen. I trust them. I trust them. Their job's tough. They run into criminals of all different calibers that want to push back and fight at all different kinds of levels. And each day they have to walk into their job and they have to approach this and gauge the situation themselves for how much force that situation requires, right? You can just, in your mind, envision all the different kinds of force that would be required to get compliance, right? They're trying to communicate clearly and get compliance out of somebody. 
and they've got a whole the list of different opportunities for them to achieve compliance, right? I mean, even when they actually physically get their hands on somebody, there's there's this sense that they can use. It's not like once, hey, you know, uh, when you went to uh, school, when you went to the academy, it was force alpha that we brought to them all the time. You just bring force alpha and you just use your hands and just force them. No. There's this idea of a variety of force that you choose. You get to choose. Are you going to take someone's hands and put them behind their back gently? Or are you going to take their hands and force them behind their back because they're fighting you all the way? They get to gauge, right? They have a sense and a responsibility. Well, if we trust law enforcement to have that sense of responsibility, do you think that we can trust biblical parents to have that sense and that ability to gauge their discipline, their spanking as well? We certainly should. And remember, the aim is communication. The aim is compliance. The biblical parent's aim is the glory of God, the righteous standard of God, and clear communication of that standard and the violation of that standard. You know, the whole message is lost if the quality of the spanking is low and not forceful, but also if the quality of the spanking is beyond reasonable. If, if a parent goes beyond anything reasonable and it's too forceful, you've just blown up the whole idea that you were trying to communicate. Too forceful is abusive. It's wrong for many reasons, but primarily it's wrong in this. I really want you to pay attention. I really want you to see this one. I want you to see the parallel that I'm drawing here. Abuse challenges the understanding of sovereignty. Did you make that connection? Abuse, under, uh, it, it challenges your understanding as a parent of sovereignty. You know, it's not just parenting either. Because you can take this understanding of, of force and take it out of the realm of, of spanking and you can move it into the realm of uh, getting your sandwich from McDonald's. How forcefully do you talk to the chef at McDonald's to make sure that your order comes out on time? Doesn't that communicate something about your understanding of the sovereignty of God? If you're going to talk to somebody with force to get a sandwich... It, it communicates something about your understanding of sovereignty. If the, if the parent believes in the sovereignty of God, then at the end of the day, they'll realize that God will get the message through to the child whether they use the rod or not. So why use the rod? Anybody? Why use the rod? Because God commands the use of the rod. That's why we use the rod. So you're caught between these two great truths. Use of the rod is commanded by God and God will communicate his righteous standard, his righteous message perfectly. Parents need to feel that tension. This is a familiar tension to us. It's an earthbound, temporal tension. We only have this tension while we exist on earth. We don't have anything like this tension in eternity. But we must deal with it now. So your spanking should always be done with a view toward the sovereignty of God. Here's a question. If you tell your child the consequence for your disobedience today is two spankings, and the first spanking, you felt it and it was too light, and the second spanking was actually right on and it gave the sting that was needed, do you just, in your mind, do you just go right through and plow through and, and spank a third time because the first one didn't meet what you thought it needed to do? Or did you tell your child that there would only be two spankings and so you just pull off and say, you know what? That's going to be good for tonight. Even if it didn't match the quality that you think it might need. You just pull off, right? And you just say, no, I believe in the sovereignty of God. 
And I did exactly what I said. And you know what? If that spanking didn't necessarily communicate exactly what it needed to, I know this. God will make up the difference. God will sort it out. And it will burn my conscience until we have this meeting again next time. And, and I'll make it right next time. Next time I'll make it right. And we have that understanding whether we spank too hard or we spank too soft. And we dial our understanding of discipline into God's righteous standard. But we don't need to abuse quantity and we don't need to abuse quality. These things seem to be heating pretty hot. Are you guys getting too hot in here? It's me, man. It's me. I'm good. <laughs> that's, that's such an important point. You need to trust in the sovereignty of God. We entirely oppose abuse in all these three areas. Abuse in, in which offense to punish, abuse in the quantity, and abuse in the quality. Biblically informed parents will be sensitive and responsive to their child and, and to their own conscience before God, a sensitive and soft conscience before God regarding how well they discipline their children. And consider the vast amount of variation that will exist between the parents in all three of these areas. All, I think of all the parents that are here and all the parents in, in all the different congregations around the globe in all these different areas and all the different angles and aspects of the household and the, and the parents themselves and the children, who's perfect? Who has all the answers? Who, who wants to make the bet that their way is the best? And yet we have the commands from God and we have to feel this tension. The tension that on the one hand, you don't exasperate the child. And on the other hand, you use the rod or you hate your child. So a question, what, what are the results of faithfulness to the rod? What are the results of faithfulness to the rod? Here's the, here, here's the answer to that question. The kids see their parents' desire to honor God. That's what you get when you have faithfulness to the use of the rod. The kids pick it up and they see, you want God's righteousness more than your own comfort. Because it's a comfort issue that would cause you not to want to spank your parent or you spank your kids. It's a comfort issue. You know, when we spank our kids, there's nothing wild about this. There's nothing arbitrary. There's nothing punitive. This is not petty or vindictive or impulsive. Rather, kids will see discipline that is consistent, God-honoring. Check this out. Discipline that self-corrects. That's awesome. Discipline that self-corrects because of a burning conscience and more information from the Word of God because of the humble heart of mom and dad, this beautiful, humble heart of mom and dad that so desires to see God's standard spelled out for the children. This is the heart of the parents which shows that ultimately God is in control, that God is sovereign. Biblical parents know that their use of the rod is a clear indication of their understanding of the sovereignty of God. It's the understanding of the sovereignty of God. You know what? And there's great joy in the use of the rod. There's great joy. What do I mean by this? There's great joy in the use of the rod. Great joy. God declares the means of satisfaction for sins against his perfect standard. Right? Doesn't he? Doesn't he declare the means of satisfaction for sins against his perfect standard? How are you saved? I'm saved by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone. God declared the means for satisfaction of your sin against his perfect standard. Right? Same thing with kids. The means of satisfaction for them is the use of the rod. 
This is beautiful. With regard to the sins of the children, God terminates the offense of the child eternally. When, when they receive the rod from mom and dad. Do you get that? I mean, the kids can feel this. God terminates their offense. He says, I have been honored. I have been obeyed. This was my righteous standard. And at the conclusion of the spanking, it's as if the, the God is saying to the child, I will remember your sins no more. With the parent's delivery and the child's receipt of the consequences, the wrath of God has been satisfied. The guilt and the shame is over. The punishment is served and it is final. I think this is something worth getting excited about. That, that a child who's three or four or five or eight, who has this overbearing guilt and burden and shame and anxiety even over, over a sin, over a lie that they told, over something that they did, over an offense against a brother or a sister. And if, if mom and dad come in and author this, this corrective action with them, that they can satisfy the wrath of God, that that child can go to sleep with a clear conscience, with peace in their heart and soul, knowing that they've been forgiven by God and forgiven by mom and dad. And there's no more wrath. They don't have to look around the corner for anybody that's going to punish them further for this offense. It's done. That's so joyful. It's, that is incredible. And, and for you as a parent, isn't it nice to know that you literally have the wrath of God in your hands? Once the wrath of God is satisfied, your child's conscience is clear. And that sting, it only lasts for a moment. Have you considered how your discipline lifts this burden? You know what we, what we read in Hebrews, do you remember that? After the sting, you get the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is wonderful news. This is great joy in use of the rod. But it's also set with a duration. The great joy turns to sadness as well. When does the great joy turn to sadness? When the day comes that your children age out of spanking. When you can't spank them anymore. Did you know kids age out of spanking? You ever tried to spank an 18-year-old adult male? <laughs> That doesn't work too well. <laughs> you might just lose that paddle and have it spanked on you. How ridiculous would it be to spank an 18-year-old adult male? There's got to be a balance there, right? And you can do this and you need to do this. You must do this for a child. But at some point, somewhere in the middle there, somewhere there, this is where we turn this over to the parent, the parent whose conscience is sensitive to make this determination. The joy gives way to sadness in this that as a parent you lose the ability to punish your child in that same sense. It goes away. You can't give that same relief for guilt and shame. You got the opportunity to give the relief for the guilt and shame for a period of time, but now that season is gone. It's over. Those kids reach an age of accountability. That's when the child knows the difference between right and wrong. When the child is so big that your spanking is no longer having a sting to it and it's rather just annoying. It's a sad day as a parent. 
we talked about the sovereignty of God. And this is the day when you, when you identify for your child that they're no longer able to receive a spanking. This is the day that you as a parent really truly understand the sovereignty of God. Because it was nice for a while to have the sovereignty of God in your own hand and know that you can clear your, your child's conscience. But you can't do that anymore. Now your child has to go before God themselves for their own offenses. You can walk them through that road, but he's the one that's going to discipline them. Your child is going to fall into the hands of the living God. And Hebrews 10.31 says this, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Because at this point, do you know when the discipline is over? Do you know when the wrath of God has been lifted or has been satisfied? You see, before this age of transition, you had the great blessing of knowing your child was no longer under the wrath of God because you brought an end to it with the spanking. But then comes the age when they know enough to be accountable to God. And mom and dad are no longer needed for discipline to assist their conscience by use of the rod. I I sure hope you can feel the sadness. It's a tremendous change to the relationship with your child. But it's a very, very necessary change. Clearly there's a line. You can't spank a 20-year-old adult male. So when does that spanking end? You need to be mindful of it because biblical parents will have a great sense of exasperation in their child and accountability that their child has the ability to be accountable before God. They will know when they must turn discipline over to God. Imagine with me. Imagine this. The, the change for a young man. 13 years of age, he was spanked three times in the course of that year at 13. And each time, his heart was even made more sensitive and more responsive to the word of God. And he did respond to those spankings. Then at age 14, mom and dad come to him. And they inform him that he's now responsible to the Lord himself. And that discipline of him will change and it will not include spanking because it has served its usefulness in their family with him. You might just have this young man asking to be spanked. Why? Why would he come back and ask to be spanked? Well, because of how spanking alleviates guilt and shame and how it makes amends and how it satisfies the wrath of God. He might consider it easier to get a couple of spankings out of the way than to wait and see what the wrath of God actually looks like. You know exactly how this feels. You know exactly how this feels. You would love to just have a spanking for the mistakes that you've made and be completely restored before God. But we're adults, and we know the sting. of, And, and not the sting of spanking, but the sting of sending an email bomb in haste. The sting of allowing anger to boil over and harsh words to flow out of our mouths. We would love the pain of broken relationships to be taken away with a momentary sting. Oh, please, that I just had a sting for some of the things that I've said and some of the things that I've done. But we are adults and we're forced to live with those mistakes and now that 14-year-old boy who made those same mistakes is going to experience what you and I experience. It's mandatory for this young man's faith because it shows him you trust God and God's loving care and kindness and discipline and he needs to trust God too. I'll conclude with this this point on balance of the rod. This will end our time for the night, the balance of the rod. Again, there are many things in the Christian life that we hold in balance. Jesus, fully man, fully God. Scripture is written by man, written by the Holy Spirit. There's a tension in carrying those around with open hands. The world wants to come and shoot at us for those things, but we hold them with open hands. And the same thing with discipline, with the use of the rod 
and the idea that we don't want to exasperate our children. But balance with discipline goes even further than this because we are not doing discipline for obedience alone. We're not doing discipline just for the sake of obedience. We're doing discipline to the glory of God. And if we're doing discipline to the glory of God, that means it must, out of necessity, end at the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're doing discipline for the gospel of Jesus Christ, not for obedience. Obedience is too easy. We can achieve that. You're doing obedience. You want to see obedience and you want to do discipline for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that saves all men deserves... the, the, The gospel that says that all men deserve the wrath of God But Jesus himself endured the wrath of God meant for you so that you might live your life to the glory of God. You see, this is the gospel of grace and it's the gospel of truth. It's the gospel of love and it's the gospel of hatred. It's the gospel of mercy and it's the gospel of wrath. Biblical parenting knows this gospel and has its central focus on the glory of God to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ Therefore, the biblical parent will examine their discipline efforts and they will seek opportunities to communicate the gospel in both grace and in truth. They'll bring, these parents will bring peace through proper punishment with the rod or they will bring rejoicing through mercy and grace. Biblical parents will understand that grace and truth are not opposed to one another, but they both work well to attack the heart of the child. So what I'm saying with this grace and truth and what I'm saying with balance of the rod is this. You must discipline your your child. You must look and, and hope that other parents discipline their children for the glory of God to show them the righteous standard of God. But in the midst of that discipline, don't get caught up in the discipline for the discipline's sake, for the obedience's sake. Don't do that. You will miss the whole point of the discipline if you just do it for obedience. It must be done with this eye that there might be a time And there will be a time when you need to go in and spank that child and you say, I'm not doing it. What that child needs more than anything right now is the communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is a gospel of grace. And you walk into that room when they're expecting wrath and anger to flow in the form of God's righteous standard and a spanking to them. And what they get instead is a message of mercy and joy and hope and grace. That's balance, right? That's what we're after in biblical parenting is that your children would see that all of the aim of all of this is that they would know that Christ died to pay for sin. And they are violators every day. That's why we do this. If there's any questions that you have in regard to the rod, be more than happy to, to take them. That really concludes the, this section of biblical parenting on the parent as the disciplinarian. The next couple of weeks we'll be looking at the parent as the teacher, the parent as the evangelist, the parent as the prayer warrior. So we've got about two more weeks worth of this conversation and uh, looking forward to it. So I appreciate, uh, appreciate you staying with me and hopefully I kept you awake. But uh, that'll be all for Let me pray for us and I'll send you on your way. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the message of Jesus Christ crucified to pay for our sins. There's so much uh, lacking. We, we do not have the wherewithal in any one of us to parent perfectly. That's not an option. 
But we must be responsive to your word. We must come with zeal for your house and your kingdom to give our kids the best that we can from the knowledge that we've received for your honor, for your glory, so that these kids can see the incredible message of grace that is the message of Jesus Christ crucified. So Lord, I pray that this conversation would sit well on our, our hearts and that somewhere, some way, somehow, it would be used to raise up a next generation of children that would bring honor and glory to you and build your church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.